Hey everybody out there in the galaxy, it's time for Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the details of that galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Mac. I'll be joined a little bit later by my co-host, Ross. Um, but it's going to be a little bit of a weird episode today, because what we're going to do is we are going to talk about Batu, the planet from the f galaxy far, far away that you can visit in the real world. We actually had a friend on last year to talk a little bit about the opening of Galaxy's Edge, Star Wars Land, and the Disney parks. Um, but I am going to give my own personal accounts of my first visit to Batu, which just happened, uh, well, today. Uh, as you're listening to this, I just recorded this the day before, and I'm going to give you kind of what I feel about it. And Ross is also going to explore some of the ways that Batu has shown up in the fictional works, uh, the books revolving around that wonderful place. And we'll get started with that right after this. Alright, so Galaxy's Edge. Wow, what a place. Uh, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough to any Star Wars fan. There's so much to talk about. Uh, I think it actually be difficult for me to kind of unpack where I want to be. Um, so, um, peeling behind the curtain a little bit, I am in Disney World right now as I record this, um, and I, I just spent pretty much most of the day in, uh, Batu at Hollywood Studios in Orlando, Florida's, um, Walt Disney World Resort. And, uh, let's just say that as you listen to this in early 2021, you can probably imagine that this is not the normal experience that most people will have when they go to Batu. or I mean, hopefully, hopefully everything will get somewhat back to normal in the next couple of months, tens of months, years, maybe, hopefully. Um, but anyway, uh, let me just give you, uh, kind of my experiences. So a lot of the park is closed up or rearranged, uh, in response to the COVID pandemic. Uh, and so it is a little bit weird, uh, my day started at 7 a.m. where uh, there is the built-in Disney Experience app. And I was trying to, uh, well, I was trying to get into Rise of Resistance. Uh, Rise of the Resistance um, basically is one of the rides that they couldn't modify in any way to kind of increase occupancy. Um, some of the other rides, like, for instance, I rode the uh, Tower of Terror because it's also at the Hollywood Studios. And um, some of the niceties, like some of the um, pre-ride, uh, you know, theater and stuff for that, it's all gone. They have to suspend it so that they can move enough people through as they're, you know, in the Tower of Terror, like making, you know, a third of the seats available. So, you know, if they had, if they weren't shortening the ride experiences, there'd be so few people that would get to experience the rides while they were in this, in the park. And that would be really unfair. Um, that being said, if it's your first time to the parks, it's also kind of unfair because you're really not getting the genuine experience of what this park is supposed to be about. 
Um, and I think in some weird ways, I think, uh, Galaxy's Edge actually suffers from this a little bit more than most of the other parks. Um, when you enter, I entered through, uh, the side, uh, where Star Tours is. I, I, in my own head cannon, I rode the, uh, the speeder, uh, the star speeder 1000, uh, or is it 2000 or 3000? I rode Star Tours and then from there, I immediately walked through the very beautifully nondescript entrance to Galaxy's Edge that's in the back lot of the Hollywood Studios. Um, and when you go in there, they have this beautiful transition. It goes from this very like L.A. kind of like road tunnel into this natural hewn tunnel with all these uh, electric lights wired kind of haphazardly around to represent the fact you're walking towards the resistance base. And there's a beautiful piece of music that plays as you transition. It's kind of like a kind of angelic choir that I think for most of us Star Wars fans is reminding of you that you are transitioning uh, to that galaxy far, far away. The the force is with you and is taking you to that place that's only existed in your imagination. Um, and for me, it, it, it was definitely magical. It was wonderful walking through those gates and starting to see things like the Rise of the Resistance uh, queue, which I had missed at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, that basically was gobbled up before I had even a chance. Uh, I think they let people who might muster at the at the park gates actually take some of those slots. I'm not sure. Um, but they do have a virtual queue because that ride can't be shortened. So they have to give some way for people to be able to have any chance of getting on to it. So um, what I was able to do was at one o'clock, they reopened the queue and I was able to actually secure a ticket, uh, which was awesome because uh, that's sort of how I planned on spending the back half of my day. Um and so I transitioned in and you kind of see the, uh, the gateways into, um, the rise of the resistance, like line queue, uh, which is supported by a, uh, ground-based turret. And then you see the a wing and an X wing, uh, a T 70 X wing, you know, kind of like blue squadron from, uh, you know, the movie, the sequel trilogy, cause the whole park takes place in between episodes eight and nine. Uh, and then you see other just beautiful things like the Coca-Cola uh, truck, because in universe, Coca-Cola is canon, if you weren't aware. Uh, Coca-Cola exists in the sense that uh, a, a shipping crate of it transitioned from our world into their world, I guess. And uh, they've been reproducing it ever since. So you can see, you know, a uh, Coca-Cola bottle that's round, kind of like a thermal detonator, and it has uh, Arabish uh, to show that it's uh, Coca-Cola. There's also a Sprite, Diet Coke, and Dasani water in the same way. And it's just, it's fantastic. Uh, and uh, I knew it was in the right place because as soon as I walked over there, I, I, bought, I bought myself a uh, souvenir Coke. And then I basically said, you know, hey, Bright Suns, and got the return speech of, oh, Bright Suns to you, Traveler, where are you coming from? And like, and we just pretended that this was Star Wars and that the person I was talking to is Batuan and they've lived here and they've just become part of this tourist industry that's grown up around the outpost. And I adored every second of it. I mean, my dream would be the fact of like to go, I'm hoping maybe in 2022 when we go to Star Wars Celebration and the Anaheim Disneyland version of this is like, 
I kind of want to just go when it's like Colonial Williamsburg, where everyone who's here is in on it. We're all role-playing the same thing, and there's just no normies around us. Uh, that might be asking for too much, but I have to admit, around Celebration, that's probably when it will be the most likely to occur. Um, and uh, yeah, no, you, you're living, breathing Star Wars. All the lights, all the power systems... All of the facades, um, the the way they've they've done all the plants, um, everything is just you're in this world, and the way it's kind of I think it's built in sort of a bowl. Um, you can't see out, you know, you cannot know that you are also still in the Disney park because uh, you've got the petrified wood uh, formations that are the spires all around the outpost that just jut out and tower above you, and it's just really amazing how it all works um it's you know a lot lot of its tricks of force perspective and stuff but you know the whole reason it all works is because from the ground level you can't tell it all just works um so as you wind it around you you start getting some of the other areas of the uh of the park you sort of get out of the forest and out of where the resistance is hiding out and you get into sort of more of the outpost uh proper um, and that's where you can find places like uh, the Cantina, which unfortunately I couldn't get into. It's very, very popular. And with the COVID restrictions, it has a very low occupancy. So it was I, I tried my best to try and get in there, but uh, it just wasn't in the cards. Uh, and it wasn't in the cards for a lot of people. I think, um, you know, the majority of people who wanted to go there, you know, they're not serving that many customers. And that's not really their fault. They they built this tight, you know, standing room only like you're at the Moss Eisley Cantina. You know, there's a whole bunch of people at the bar and these CD tables and, you know, it's really densely packed. But of course, the problem is when you're dealing with a pandemic, you cannot densely pack people. Um, so, you know, the occupancy is very, very low. And, and that showed up in a bunch of different places because there's the marketplace, which has all these little stalls where you can buy the different souvenirs from Batu. The, there's the toy shop and the jewels of Bith where they have sort of like the kind of like keychains and apparel. Uh, there's the attire store where you can buy, you know, your Sith or Jedi robes. Um, it's really, really cool. And it all ends with Ronto Roasters, which is one of the quick serve restaurants where you can sort of like, you know, mobile order or do quick, you know, pick it up service and go take a table. And, uh, yeah, Ronto's Roasters was closed because they, they couldn't be open. They're too open air and, and all this kind of stuff for the co- for COVID and the marketplace. Uh, it wasn't shut down, but it's weird having these stalls and then lines to these stalls. Cause you could only have one party in the sp- in the stall at a time. Um, so where this is supposed to be this very pash, like grand bazaar or Marrakesh kind of like, you know, uh, street bazaar, it doesn't have that feeling cause it can't. And it obviously was designed for that. And, and obviously that it just, it cannot do that with the current conditions. Um, so the way that I continued around is I kind of went up in front of where Savi, the scrap dealer is, uh, and there's a platform there where I saw um, uh, Viv Marathi. Um, Viv, I'm gonna screw up her last name. Marathi, maybe. 
Viv, she's the char- one of the main characters that's been created for the experience. She's kind of like the local resistance leader, whereas like Ray, Finn, and Poe are sort of the face of the resistance here in the park. Um, she is the local one. She's like the recruiter. So she's one that a lot of guests would interact with normally. And I saw her up on a catwalk because they're also not really having the characters walk between the guests. So they have these more sort of static places where they can talk to you from a platform or whatnot. And uh, you can still get a lot of the same experience as if they were roaming the park without, you know, anyone being, you know, in danger. Um, and uh, yeah, that her platform was above like a place where they were uh, hot rotting uh, land speeders. And Again, just beautiful prop work. It just it it just you feel really sunk in, and oh my gosh, there was so much Arabish for me to hand translate. Um, there's a lot of that that you can type it into a uh, little translation tool that Disney allows you in the Disney Play app. Um, but I'm a super nerd, so for the most part, I'm close to just being able to sight read it. Uh, there's a few glyphs. I mean, well, I memorized all the glyphs, but I'm definitely not fast like i have to mentally translate it. it's like a movie it's like a b c d ah it's the alphabet you know I, I have to translate a little bit but there were so many jokes and so many little in-world um easter eggs i guess um you know some stuff that's it's just oh this sign says what it's supposed to say it just says you know cautions uh you know these are the droids you're looking for or stuff like that um, but it was just full of just delightful Easter eggs. And I, I feel that, that the nerdiest thing about me of being able to, you know, be somewhat fluent in Arabish feels validated from this entire park existing. Um, and from there, you walk around. There's the Droid Depot. Um, I did not sign up for that. Uh, you had to sign up for it. Um Again, with occupancies, they sort of had to limit it. I think even under normal conditions, they had appointment times and stuff. But I think you might have still been able to, like, poke around their gift shop and stuff. You really you just couldn't go into the droid um, the droid factory unless you, you had an appointment to go in there. Um, so there's definitely some merch I would have maybe liked to look at. I, I didn't try to press my luck to get in there, but um, it's beautiful. It's an, it's a neat building. You can, it's fairly open. So I could see some of the, you know, kids and stuff sort of building their droids and, and tons of people had their droids out and were playing with them out in the street and you can build BB eights and R2 style units, um, Astromex. And it's, it's really neat. And uh, then that exit, you can see a giant crater, uh, that crater, is where DJ Rex apparently came from. Uh, as legend has it, he uh, crashed there and was found by the local uh, droid uh, factory, which again is just across from it. And uh, that droid, droid Smith uh, reprogrammed him so that he could be a DJ in the cantina, which is just great. Again, there's so much world building and there's so much, I guess, reality to what's going on. So I pass the droid dealer, you go back a little bit, and then you see the uh, kind of compound for the First Order. Uh, the First Order has a, ver- a small garrison here, and they're searching for resistance spies. Uh, and uh, mostly it's, it's occupied by stormtroopers who are, you know, lightly interrogating people and asking questions. There's a gift shop there for First Order swag if you want to show your allegiance to the uh, 709, the uh, local legion that works out of Batuu. Um, 
And I did get the chance to see Kylo Ren again. He was up on a platform sort of lording over the crowd uh, and just great, great, you know, lines of of people uh, getting uh, getting interaction with the character. So, you know, he might be something like, you know, sees he's wearing a first order hat or or uh, a T-shirt and looks down on that is like you there. Your allegiance is noted. Like it's all just this just a little bit canned. Um, I think they're uh, using some pretty cool tricks with like hand gestures and some onboard computers to be able to have these voice lines because it was the voice of Adam Driver talking to these folks. Uh, and that was pretty impressive. And then uh, he disappeared and then two stormtroopers came out in front of the Thai echelon that's parked there. And uh, they were just interrogating people, and it was great. Uh, I could tell that that normally what they would be doing is roaming the park and checking with people, but it it was pretty good for what it is. Uh, Opposite that is the milk stand, where I got to try blue and green milk. Um, I would recommend the blue milk, and I would say the green milk is an acquired taste. Uh, It's their coconut and rice-based milks, and then they have different fruit flavors. Uh, the best way I could think to kind of say it was the blue milk was like an Italian ice meets a slushy with a kind of creamy texture to it. So it's like a creamy slushy with a little bit of the uh, kind of, uh, I guess, kind of sharpness or the, the uh, I can't really describe it, like an Italian ice. Italian ice has a little bit of, I guess, bite to it. Um, so it had a little bit of that, uh, and the blue milk was very good. It has sort of a fruity flavor, uh, with tones of like maybe a little bit berry in there. Uh, and then the green milk, uh, which I liked a little less, uh, is kind of a little more of a, I guess for lack of a better term, a leafy quality kind of reminds me of like green juices and other kale, kale based juices or vegetable based. Um, while passion fruit was definitely kind of its prevailing flavor, it definitely had a, a little more, um, I guess a little more like v- V8. Is that makes sense? That makes it sound maybe worse than it is. It, it was fine. I, I, I liked it, but I, I definitely preferred the blue milk. Uh, I don't think either one of them is like so mind blowingly awesome that I would be making trips to Disney just to have it. Um, butterbeer over at the Harry Potter world is something that I would do that for. Um, but blue milk was uh, was pretty good. Uh, there are alcoholic versions of it. I, I didn't drink any alcohol during this. I didn't get into that cantina, so I just decided not to worry about it. Um, and from there, uh, everything was great because I got to the last sort of reveal of the park uh, in the perfect way. I uh, came down a corridor and came around a corner, and there she was, the Millennium Falcon. Now, you've probably seen all kinds of people having huge reactions to it, and they should. It is such a, like, clawing it out of your imagination and just throwing it into reality. There is something patently surreal about taking in something that your imagination is so familiar with, but to see it real and, I think most importantly, uh in one one scale like to be the size and shape like to look at that loading ramp and say hey i could fit in there um to look at the cockpit and say hey i could see how four or five people would fit in there um it was it it is very awe-inspiring now i will say the one kind of weird side effect of that was that while it was awe-inspiring it also was a little humbling uh it's a prop 
it's a real thing. Now, now the Millennium Falcon's real. Now I know some of, I don't want to say flaws, but like some realities of it, of like, yes, five people could fit in that cockpit. It'll be a little cramped. Um, yes, there's probably some living space for the cargo bays and stuff like that. But, you know, there's not a whole lot of space in that thing. Like, you know, this is a super duper souped up uh, space RV. Um, and just, again, physically taking it in was kind of strange. Um, that and some of the stuff is they, they really followed what I'm assuming is the models and the original props and original sets made for the movies um, to wit that you can look at that thing and kind of see some, I guess, signs of that, like places where, oh, I, I can't identify where those pipes are from, but those are real pipes. I've seen pipes before and, you know, they're not space pipes. They're just normal plumbing fixtures all arranged in an interesting pattern. And again, it, it just kind of made it. I guess it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It made it real, but it also reminds you that it is a prop. It is not a spaceship from another galaxy. It is the prop of that beautiful spaceship from another galaxy. Um, and that was, uh, was a little weird, little, little, I guess, double-edged sword, but still, it, I cannot express just how amazing it is to just see all the Star Wars stuff for real. And the Millennium Falcon, which is such a touch point, um, you know, uh, I, I love the T-70 X-Wing. I think I, I would have a similar reaction if it was a T-65, like, classic trilogy X-Wing. Um, or if they had one of the starships I really care about, which, unfortunately, the A-Wing's not one of my favorites. So if they had, like, the B-Wing, I might have lost my mind. A Y-Wing would have gotten more of a rise out of me. Uh, a traditional TIE fighter, the TIE Echelon's really cool, but, you know... Again, the Millennium Falcon blows people's minds, I think, because it's the touchstone that everyone who's watched any trilogy is got this connection to. Um, well, I guess it wasn't really in the prequels, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Like, it's a broader appealing thing. It's had a lot more uh, journey through the uh, through the trilogy or through the trilogies, the saga, if you will. Um, so that was amazing. Um at that point, I'd sort of seen the sights. I'd kind of taken my first tour. I'd finished my blue milk. And so then I started getting on to, uh, to uh, experiencing the rides. So I, um, I hopped into the line for Smuggler's Run, which is the Millennium Falcon ride, um, which the line queue is this beautiful um, serpentine uh, thing that gives you uh, 360 view of the Falcon. You get to kind of see it from all sides. You go up one level and you can kind of see it from a second floor. Uh, there are observation kind of platforms for this fake docking bay that you get to see. Um, and again, it's all just delightfully Star Wars. It feels like chunks of a Star Destroyer were welded to chunks of a, um, you know, uh, uh, a repair bay and there's all this piping and hosing and all this stuff is working and running. You're hearing chatter between Hondo and Nako and some of his, uh, subordinates as they're kind of somewhat bumbling. Uh, Hondo is just a delight. Uh, his characterizations from Clone Wars and Rebels play through here. I love the fact of like, there was one of his subordinates is like, Hey boss, I looked at this, these barrels of oxidizer and there's not oxidizer in here. Well, there's supposed to be oxidizer foam, but this thing's full of, no, 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 no. Now come, come, come down friend. You must be mistaken because oxidizer foam, it, it would be illegal to have anything but that in a labeled container that says oxidized foam. So 
you must be mistaken. As this is Hondo and Nako's, you know, Hondo's transport solutions, a completely legitimate shipping service. What you're talking about is smuggling, and we wouldn't do that. Oh, well, well, boss, what should I do with the containers? Why don't you just close them and then ship them? So, you know, it's got this just real kind of fun bantery. And then the ride for me, and again, I have not done this in a non-COVID world, so it probably was a little different, is we walked through, I think you get staged into and stop in, in a normal world, and Hondo gives you his speech about, hey, hey, you're new recruits, I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, I have some missions for you, and I think you're going to turn out great, and oh, oh, actually, this is your next ship, is the Millennium Falcon. Yes, I have it on loan from Chewbacca. He's uh, getting supplies for the uh, Resistance, and he's giving me use of the sk- ship. Everybody wins, and I make a nice profit. Um, so he uh, kind of lets you in to uh, get assigned ships. Um, maybe one of the tragedies of the whole adventure was uh, when I when we got to the engineering section, the interior of the Falcon, uh, I know they would normally let people go over to the generic board and take pictures. We weren't allowed. Um, that was quarantined off. In, in fact, the line was moving so quickly. I think they told me it was going to be a 45-minute wait, and I think it took me like 20, 25 minutes to get through the line. So um, they were doing a great job of moving people through so as many people could experience, you know, whatever version of the ride they could um, in the kind of crazy times we're in. So we didn't get to stop at the generic board. I basically was already on my way with a a family of three who who I got assigned with. Because uh, I'm just down here by myself, so I uh, I ended up as an engineer. There are, there are a couple positions. There are two pilots. One controls up and down. The other one controls left and right. And uh, I think it's the person who controls left and right also gets to throw the hyperdrive switch. Uh, then you can have two gunners. And then behind that uh, is what I was, which is an engineer. And an engineer is basically when the gunners or the pilots... Uh, don't do something that causes damage to the ship. You press a whole bunch of buttons to activate different systems to try and, uh, well, uh, fix the ship as it's in flight. Uh, so that's what I did. I really enjoyed it. Uh, just different buttons light up, lit up, and uh, as different things happen on the screen as we flew around, the motion simulator is very smooth but very convincing. Um, and the graphics are, um, they're fine. Uh, if you play a lot of video games, you'll you'll go, oh, yep, that's an Unreal game. That's that's the Unreal Engine running there. Um, so there was a little bit of video gaminess to the actual uh, the actual piloting uh, that was a little weird. But I mean, I guess it kind of has to be. It's interactive. You know, your mission is going to base on how well or good or bad you do the mission, and that actually can give you credits that you can use for other missions in the Disney Play app. I didn't really have time to mess around with it too much. Uh, I, I know I did my job pretty well, but I don't think we as a crew did all that great. I think we crashed and uh, broke a lot of stuff. Uh, but uh, boy, was it fun. Uh, such a cool thing. But I, I could definitely see if you had a crew of four to six people, you know, your friends and family who are you're a lot more in sync with, that you could do a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, and then you, uh, then you leave through the, um, the back channel and again, more Arabish for me to read. And, uh, again, you sort of leave the compound and that's when I went and I did some, uh, shopping. I checked out the market stalls. I checked, um, 
I also got into the Den of Antiquities, uh, Dakar Andar's uh, Den of Antiquities, which is where you can buy, like, the Legacy lightsabers. That's also where they have, like, uh, the additional Kyber crystals for sale and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, that was probably my favorite shop. It's also, I think, kind of one of the more elaborate ones, too. There's just Easter egg after Easter egg after Easter egg at that place. Uh, you've got heads mounted on the wall of, like, Nexus from Attack of the Clones, and you've got uh, the Ark of the Covenant is hidden in there, the one from Indiana Jones. Uh, there is a, a a baby Sarlacc in a uh, containment cell, uh, to one side, it's just, it's a fascinating place. And Doc Under, who is, um, you know, Hammerhead is up there sort of talking with his staff. Uh, and, and again, it just gives this sense of liveliness to the whole place, which is just fantastic. Um, I, I, well, <laughs> I didn't buy much, but I bought enough, uh, to, uh, to have, a have to figure out how I'm going to ship some of this stuff home. Um, but really cool stuff. Actually, thanks to some smuggling runs from, from friends, I, I I could have spent a lot more, but thankfully I've paced that over maybe the last two, gosh, is it two years? I guess, yeah, I think this all opened in 2019. I don't know. Uh, things like holocrons. I've, I've acquired some stuff uh, through the internet and friends, so uh, thankfully it was just sort of polishing off the things that I either wanted to personally pick out or buy myself or uh, it's just stuff that has released since uh, the last time anyone was there for me. Uh, it was uh, it was really cool. Uh, the market stalls were very nice. Uh, I went through there. Um, again, you could kind of tell there's some limited stock. Like, one of the things I was really hunting for, I didn't find anywhere. And I, in hindsight, go, oh, of course, they don't have that. Which is, I was looking for the, uh, the uh, flight rations that Luke has in Empire Strikes Back, and I couldn't find them anywhere. And I think it's probably because they're just not currently selling them. I think there's a number of items they're just not currently selling. I, I remember from my list I compiled of things I was looking for, there was there was a handful of stuff I, I just didn't find. But that's great, because, I mean, in my mind, it's not really a negative in the sense that it just means, hey, I have something still on the to-do list to do the next time I, I come. Okay, and so for me, uh, the next stop was Rise of the Resistance, and I won't go into too much detail about it. Uh, I was very lucky to get on board. Um, I was uh, pretty late in the afternoon because of just, you know, where they were with the queue, and that was fine. So sort of saw the sunset uh, as I was moving through the queue there, which is beautiful, and, and there's a lot to see there. The entire queue is going into the heart of the Resistance base. Um has a very Hoth feel. Because um, while it's carved into the petrified uh, wood of uh, Batu, it's still these hewn tunnels. Uh, they have sort of the floor grating and the strung lights that you'd expect from like the Hoth base, except it's just through earth rather than snow and ice. Uh, and it just, it felt right there. You eventually get to a place where they have a bunch of equipment caged. They had like flight suits and blaster rifles. Um, the medical suit Finn was wearing in last Jedi. Um, that's where I think I saw one of my favorite Easter eggs would, which was again, just a joke for me and the other one percenters, which was, there was a X-Wing flight helmet and it had a call sign written onto it. That was rebel scum, but it was in Arabish. And I just, I was tickled by that. Uh, and then you get on to rise of resistance, which is just an insanely magical ride. Uh, I, I, there are still two or three things in there that like I was looking, I, I had the, 
fortunate misfortune of I rode behind a um, off-duty cast member that was uh, taking pictures uh, kind of for themselves. I don't think it was for official use, but they knew where everything was going to be happening. So I was looking at all the places when things were going to happen. And there's still at least two or three things in there. I, I, I don't, I was looking and I still don't know how they did it. Like there's a part where a lightsaber cuts through a wall and I don't know how that happens. I, I stared right at it and I still don't know how that happened. How did they reset that? It doesn't, it's really hard for me to understand. And, and, and that's magical. Um, and it's just basically you kind of crawling through a, a star destroyer as you're being hunted by the first order. But there are just some magical moments. You've probably seen pictures by this point. If you've looked into any of the stuff of like uh, when you are a resistance, you know, your resistance recruit, you get on a uh, speeder and you head off and then you get intercepted by a star destroyer. The docking bay you arrive in is awe-inspiring and i i don't know how it fits in there it, it's amazing and then they have all this whole you know uh, battalion of first order troopers and they're moving just enough to make you kind of forget that they are probably animatronics um and then outside you can see the tie fighters and stuff swirling past uh the the blue glow of the um docking bay shield generators uh, it's just amazing. You know, I'm not going to say anything more about that. I really, you know, if you get there, you should really see it. And, and I would really encourage, I, I watched a, a ride along a, a while ago. Cause I just, I thought it would be years until I got out here. Uh, and I don't really necessarily regret it, but I would say go in dark if you can. I, I think it's far more interesting if you don't know where the twists are going to be coming. Cause it's, it's really fascinating. It's really well produced and, it is just some of the best ride technology Disney has ever shown to have. All right. Uh, and then my day sort of wrapped up. I, uh, I had a, a, a reservation to go, uh, collect some scrap. Uh, Savi is a scrap dealer in black spire outpost and, uh, helped me collect some scrap. And, uh, that experience is absolutely worth it. If you're looking at that price and you're like, I don't really know if like, if a you're you would be happy to keep a very, Nice, not necessarily like, you know, this, this isn't like some of the really high end, um, I don't even want to call them prop replica replicas. They're beyond prop replicas. Um, you know, like, uh, Electrum Sabres is a company I've dealt with before that produces just beautiful, amazing, crazy, over the top, technologically crazy, impressive, um, lightsabers. Uh, it's, it's not one of those. But it's a really, really decent uh, lightsaber for, you know, the 200 dollars that it costs. But what you're paying for is that experience, which it's, it's, you know, it's nice, it's simple, but it was just brilliantly executed, wonderfully done, and I just absolutely adored it. And I think that's one of the experiences that was probably the least compromised by COVID because they sanitize all the trays of the parts you'll build your lightsaber with. Um, and they basically just had half the stations closed and that's really all, all that there was. And, and my host and the gatherers just had on masks and it didn't feel particularly out of place with their attire. Actually, none of the Batuians seemed to like be all that weird with masks on. It seemed kind of like they made sense. It was the rest of us in Hawaiian shirts and stuff that didn't. Uh, and that's sort of how I ended my night. I, I went over to the Malayan Falcon with my newly minted lightsaber and I got some pictures with it and, uh, just 
really leisurely walked out of the park, soaking in all the, the night version of Batu, and it was just pleasant as punch. Oh my goodness, I have talked for half an hour. I hope half of this was interesting. I don't know if it was. Um, uh, okay, honestly, again, uh, Star Wars fans either leaving vicariously through me or just, uh, you know, dreaming for yourself to go there. It is, it's what you want. It, I, I the only way I could see you not enjoying it is if you're really, just really put out by the sequel trilogy. You know, I think this is where the sequel trilogy, you know, if you if you're triggered by Last Jedi, it will probably do that because it is definitely set in immediately after the events of Last Jedi. If Rise of Skywalker has hurt your heart, uh, you kind of know that anything good that's happening here is going to end up there. Like, it, it's kind of awkward. The sequel trilogy obviously landed a little very weird and it's going to be very weird until sort of it just becomes part of the tapestry of Star Wars and not the biggest thing in Star Wars up to now. Though I think the Mandalorian is helping a lot of people get over that hump. Um, but as long as you can stomach the sequel trilogy and its settings, I would really recommend checking it out. And even if not, they have a full-size Millennium Falcon. Every Star Wars fan should want to see that. So uh, that's it for me. I, I think I've talked for way longer than I planned. Um, I'm going to hand the reins over to Ross. He's got something to tell you about the Batuian books. Um, I know I'm a big fan. I use the travel guide. That's how I knew about Bright Suns and some of the other catchphrases. So uh, take a listen to him right after this. Welcome, everyone, to a little follow-up to a segment from episode 74, just a few weeks ago. During that piece, we talked about the history of Star Wars publishing, and I gave a few recommendations on where you could start if you're interested in reading some Star Wars books. This week, with Mac being on an excursion to the Outer Rim, I thought I'd take a few to do a little follow-up and tell you about some Star Wars books that you might like that take place on the outmost planet, on the edge of the known galaxy. The frontier against wild space. Released in August of 2019, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Black Spire was the main book in the Galaxy's Edge publishing line to support the story of the park. This story is in a lot of ways a sequel to Delilah Dawson's other Star Wars novel, Phasma, which has nothing to do with Batu, but centers around the same main characters. So, if this story sounds interesting to you, you might want to consider reading Phasma first. So, Black Spire tells the story of Vi Marathi, a spy for the Resistance who has been sent to Batu to set up a base camp and recruit people for the cause. Along with a defecting villain, an enjoyable droid, and rich landscapes and information about Batu, this book is a must for fans of the sequel era. Personally, I read this when it first came out, and it is my absolute favorite book of the sequel trilogy era, so if you're a fan of The Resistance, First Order, or just a traveler looking to learn more about Black Spire Outpost and a few of the people who might be there, this is a story I highly recommend. Published in July of 2018, Thrawn Alliances has up a two connection but is not part of the overall Galaxy's Edge publishing initiative. This is the story of how Darth Vader met Grand Admiral Thrawn, both times 
Dueling stories set during the Clone Wars and Empire eras tell all about Thrawn and Vader's relationships. Threats from outside the known galaxy. Some great Padme storytelling. Plus, a Vader bar fight on Batuu. Even though this book is the middle of a trilogy, it stands on its own if you want a thrilling Skywalker-Vader adventure. A Crash of Fate is a fantastically fun Batuian romance that in a lot of ways feels similar to Lost Stars, which is one of the best books in all of Star Wars, so not at all a bad comparison to Garner. Izzy and Jules, childhood best friends on Batuu, until one day Izzy's family mysteriously disappears. Now, over a decade later, Izzy returns to Batuu on a job to find Jules still there, and still the same best friend she used to have. Will Jules accept the person she has had to become to survive? Will Izzy be able to stop running from what she's afraid of? Will they both survive a few days on the mean streets of Black Spire Outpost? Find out by reading this fantastic Star Wars story by Zoraida Cordova. This is one of the most interesting items the marketplace of Black Spire Outpost has to offer. Missing Fables is a collection of short stories by George Mann, published in August of 2019. Some of the stories do take place on Batuu, but what's more interesting is there is a special edition of this book sold at Black Spire Outpost. If you talk to just the right people, at just the right stall, at just the right time of day, rumor has it, it includes three additional stories and a very special binding and cover and you might just be able to get your hands on a copy of your own. The Traveler's Guide to Batuu features some nifty maps, information, and secrets about the planet. Now, Mac took his trusty copy on his journey, so maybe he'll be able to update us on its value in the field. A handy tool indeed for any new traveler heading to that Outer Rim outpost. Following in the trail that Wookiee Cookies once blazed comes the Black Spire Outpost official cookbook. With a plethora of recipes inspired by the cuisine of Galaxy's Edge, this guide full of recipes allows you to cook like you live in that galaxy far, far away. The big thing of note in this cookbook is that the food you'll find inside is different from what is served in the park. This cookbook is a fun experience for Star Wars fans on its own outside of a journey to Batuu, but don't be expecting Cookie and all the other gourmands of Black Spire to give up their secrets to everyone. The official in-park recipes are locked up tighter than the Death Star plans. Finally, a five-issue Marvel Comics miniseries introduces you to the outpost and some notable inhabitants of Batuu, as well as a little dose of First Order and some classic character flashbacks. If you can't get out to the Outer Rim quite yet on your own, this is a great way to explore Batuu visually without actually having to be there. You can find it in five individual issues, all with some beautiful cover art, or in a trade paperback, available still wherever comics are sold. And for now, that is the conclusion of Galaxy's Edge stories available. But I imagine one day, there will be many more adventures for us to read. Until next time, as they say on Batuu, may the spires keep you.
All right. So that's how we all wrap up. We we talked about Batu. I explained uh, kind of where I was with uh, Galaxy's Edge. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, a little bit different. Uh, we actually, at one point, we were talking about just doing this as a special. But I think, I think we, especially considering I talked for half an hour, uh, I think we filled the time quite well. Um, I <laughs> hope it was enjoyable for you. Hope we got your mind stirring about, you know... Uh, uh, but two and uh, Galaxy's Edge and and the future of that. I mean, we were looking to the future with the Star Cruiser. Um, I uh, I have kind of a guess where it connects into the park from where I was. Um, but just the way Batu is constructed, you you can't see anything. So I know somewhere around there it was being built, but I don't know where. So. Exciting, exciting for the future of Star Wars. Um, we have, you know, Mandalorian coming. We have new movies on the way. We have new TV shows on the way. We have new expansions to the parks. We have parks. Um, it's it's absolutely amazing, and I, I hope you're enjoying it even half as much as I do. And I hope if you have been here that you, you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you haven't been here, I hope um, I hope the forces is kind to you and allows you to someday visit this this kind of magical place and this beautifully enwrapped piece of Star Wars because the world of Batu has become deeply entrenched in Star Wars. And and you could be cynical and think of it as marketing, but like. I think it feels natural. I think they did it in a very clever way. And I think they wrote a world that fits in the Star Wars universe and can just be a wonderful part of it. Well, I think that's all I have to say for this kind of weird special episode. Um, and uh, we can't wait to get back in the room again and start talking about more Star Wars. And we will do that soon. But until then, I'm Mac. And until next Wednesday, may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.